Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Lois Lane and Clark Kent from Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. And joining me for the discussion is returning guest, Kirsta Christensen. Welcome, Kirsta. Hello. Very glad to have you back. Today we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 7, which was titled That Old Gang of Mine. It was written by Gene Miller and Karen Kavner and directed by Lorraine Senna Ferrara and originally aired on November 13th, 1994. It tells the story of a scientist who is cloning iconic criminals from American history. I would say that will make more sense when we get to the full summary, but they just kind of hand wave it away. <laughs> and this is what he's doing. Yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. I love silliness. I think we need more just fun silliness in our in our lives. And this episode mm-hmm. definitely delivered. Yes. And 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 like science fiction silliness and how that relates to comic books is I think something else we will uh have fun discussing. Yes. Uh Clark Kent Superman is played by Dean Kane and Lois Lane is played by Terry Hatcher uh in this episode. So Kirsta, this one was a request from you, which may be a little surprising since yes. I am notably a fan of superheroes and comic books and uh, adaptations Just a little. <laughs> of those. So why did you want to talk about Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman? So just to give a little um, a little behind the scenes info, we are recording a double header tonight. So we're starting with Lois and Clark, and then we're going to do Batman the Animated Series. And I had wanted to do a Batman episode with you for a long time. And then I kind of wanted to do Lois and Clark. So I thought it would be fun to do like a DC doubleheader, right? So that was sort mm-hmm. of like the theme of our double recording. Um, also, I, I'm i pretty sure that I'm, I'm, I'm more familiar with this show than you, right? This was not a show that yeah. you watched. Yeah. No. So that's, I mean, that's kind of. Yeah, I, I've seen right. several episodes here and there, but I was not watching it actively when it was on air. Yeah, which is, this is a show that my family got really into. So this, it started in, um, let's see, what year did you say it started? 92? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, well, 93. Um, 93. Oh, 93. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 93. Winter, winter so like, basically, we just saw promos for it, and it looked good. And so, and I think it was on Sundays. And so it became like our kind of our Sunday night show. And um, and so we were, and we taped it. And, and so we were like very um, devoted fans of this show for for the first two and a half seasons we'll get into kind of some of the stuff that happened in the third season and the fourth season there's some um, showrunner changes and a change of tone right yeah and i think there were i think there were even some showrunner changes early on um yeah we can kind of but we can kind of get into that um and and you know i um one, one kind of funny bit of trivia about this so I would have been, um, I would have been about thirteen, high school age, and um, and my brother was, or sorry, you said you said ninety two. So I would have been, I would have been twelve. Um, no, sorry, I'm getting all my dates mixed up. What year it premiered is this? in ninety three? Ninety three. Okay, I was thirteen, and September my brother, 93. my brother was four, and I had seen the uh, the, at least the first two christopher reeve films and so i was you know basically and we weren't a big comic book family but i was familiar with the idea of superman right so this was like 
this was a new show, but I was familiar with the premise. But my brother, who was four, this was his very first time with the show um, with the, with the franchise at all, right? With the Superman franchise. And he did not um, catch on to the premise right away. So we'd seen like a cut, like one or two episodes and I was talking to my mom about it and we were just kind of talking about like the structure of the show and like how they were kind of like telling the story because, you know, media criticism should begin at home, everyone. Um, and, uh, Very young age. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and I said, I was saying something to my mom and I said, well, of course, Lois Lane doesn't know that Clark Kent is Superman. And my brother overheard me and said, Clark Kent is not Superman because he had not picked up on that yet. Like he had just not figured that out. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have never met a person in real life who did not know that. Okay, well, you, little brother and Lois Lane are the only ones who don't know because everyone else in the world knows this. Um, and then he, you know, very quickly figured it out. Um, it was also very cute because my brother had to start wearing glasses when he was three and that was let that's like hard on a preschooler um yeah. so he actually went as superman that halloween um and and got like we got like a blue blue footy pajamas and put an s like a s on the front and got him a little cape of course he was like superman also wearing the glasses but truthfully having this like character who um wore glasses was kind of helpful for him because you know, characters on TV don't always wear glasses. So that was actually like a big, you know, a sort of like moment of representation for him once he did figure out that Clark Kent and Superman were the same person, which is, you know, the premise of the show. So yeah, I knew that this was, this was a really good formative show for our family. As you know, um, I super love secret identity shows. Um, and then, um, and so I kind of want to talk about it anyway. I thought it'd be fun to do mm -hmm. like a double DC recording and yeah, just want to talk about about the show and then also about this particular episode, which has a fun twist on some of the um, complications that come from having a secret identity. Can I tell you my <laughs> deep shame about this show? Always. My memory of never watching an episode when this was on the air, um, uh -huh. only watching episodes later on for academic studies, as one does. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But I have a memory, uh, and this would have had to have been in in its third or fourth season, I think, because uh -huh. I have a memory of what classroom I was sitting in in junior high. Okay. Um, and so that had to be 96, 97 uh, when this took place. That for some reason in the class discussion, Superman had come up, and I was at that point an avid comic book reader. And a girl in the room said, like sitting next to me, said, oh, I like Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. And I said that's not real Superman. And I am so ashamed of my fan gatekeeping. Oh. It was so wildly inappropriate. This is valid Superman. And I was yes. wrong. I was, yes. I was ignorant and, Oh, I, I can't believe I uttered those words. Well, you know, I think we all start out as, I, I think it's very natural to be a gatekeeper or a prescriptivist. Um, or, or at least I, I feel, I think I was possessive of the comic book Superman. Yes. Maybe that's what it was, yes. but mm -hmm. it was not the right thing ever to right. have been right. said. <laughs> I, I am proud of you that you have matured beyond that point. Um, I think you are a much more inclusive and welcoming person now. And, and I would love your take on, you know, what this particular how, how this show fits into the larger franchise and what it is and isn't mm -hmm. doing because of course i know this show really well much better than i know 
you know, other takes on the franchise or like the overall continuity. So I don't know why, like at the time, I don't think I would have been embarrassed to have said that, but I have a very vivid memory of it. <laughs> and I oh, don't yeah. have that many yeah. vivid memories of that classroom or conversations in that classroom. Well, you know, but, funny. but me yeah. saying that thing still, yeah. I can remember it. And and it's also funny because sometimes the things that are like the most antithetical to who we are now are the ones that burn the most, right? You know, because that's like, that's, I mean, if someone says like, oh yeah, you know, Joe Dorowski, the guy who's like the super gatekeeper of culture, like, no, that is just like antithetical to who you are now, right? You're just like, there are, you're the kind of person who's like, there are a million doors to culture, you know, and let's go mm -hmm. through Shakespeare or let's go through Mouse or let's go through, you know, whatever, whatever thing you're entering. And so I think maybe for you, it's like, like it's like knowing that that is not who you are now and who you want to be is maybe like why it is why it's especially you know why it's especially especially burned in memory whereas like the times you called your you know toddler brother a poo poo head is like not burned in your mind right <laughs> well because that's still who i am uh, you right. know, producer Andrew, <laughs> still still throw that out at him oh yeah no 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 that's that's we've talked to you about this but we'll work on yeah. it <laughs> all right some trivia about lois and clark the new adventures of superman it aired from 93 to 97 on abc um and it starred terry hatcher and d kane and 88 episodes were produced and as someone who was um starting to like follow the television industry i remember it being a surprise when it was canceled after four seasons i think its yeah. ratings were still pretty good and it, i know it famously ended on a cliffhanger um okay that yeah was, was not going to be resolved uh and so like producers and cast were not expecting a cancellation it was not imminent when they were it also had really big ratings at least in the first season or first couple of seasons because mm -hmm. it was up against i think it was counter-programmed against murder she wrote which had been a juggernaut for years and then actually like beat murder she wrote in ratings in fairness murder she wrote was in like its 10th year or something so i remember that being like a really big deal and so yeah it was it was a really um it was a really strong show for when it first started out and then, you know, kind of fizzled a little bit at the end. So mm -hmm. um, in terms of live action Superman TV productions, uh, there have been like, like outside of the 1670s, there's almost always been something from the Superman family on TV live action. And that is a little surprising because you'd think that'd be a hard one to adapt. But you had sure. Adventures of Superman in the 1950s, Superboy in the late 80s and early 90s, Lois and Clark in the 90s, Smallville yeah. in the early 2000s, Supergirl in the 2010s, and Superman and Lois is now on the air um, okay. right now. Um, I, th I think we know like Superman is always a part of our pop culture <laughs> since he was created in 1938 um like immediately transitioned into uh you know radio and uh cartoon uh you know the the fleischer studio stuff um but it's it's surprising to me how much of a presence he is on television even yeah yeah especially because the special effects get complicated although um Rewatching this episode, I think they had a bigger budget the first season because there was a lot more flying in the first season and i don't think there is I think there's one scene of flying in this episode, but it's potentially stock footage. Um, there's lots of like, well, and, and the, the one, the, the flight is more of a fall as he leaps off of a building and then you hear. Right, the, right. The implication um, of flight. No, no, no. So there's a scene of him flying when he's looking for, when he's listening for oh, Lois at the end. You're right, you're right. Uh -huh. But that one is like flying and listening at night and then like whooshing in a certain direction, which is something you could do in a lot of episodes. So I honestly mm -hmm. don't know. And also like he always wears the same thing. So there's not like a continuity issue. Um, 
so yeah there's lots of like whooshing and landing off of like like he'll you hear a whoosh sound and then you like he kind of lands off of right off uh just off off screen mm-hmm. um but yeah they didn't have quite the budget for for whooshing and flying in the second and scene. i mean not to denigrate 1990s television but oh, no. his heat vision felt like it could have come from 1960s star trek <laughs> <laughs> sure sure <laughs> you know just yeah. just the, lo- the level that was there was like, I'm like okay we're, we're doing a thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. right um and you made a note that in terms of, of live action superman productions this is coming after uh christopher reeve in the 70s, 70s and 80s but yes. you know before smallville um yes. and it's um i i do remember like how much of a presence in pop culture like the imagery of Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher mm-hmm. as Superman Lois was like, this was a pretty big deal when it, when it was at least in its first season when it was on TV. Um, yes. And it huge also promotional us- budget from ABC, yeah. uh, you know, lots of magazine uh, write-ups and things like that. There was also, it also coincided with the very early days of, of the internet or the, at least the very early days of, of widespread internet. And there was like, I've, I've heard there was a time when, when a particular promotional photo of Terry Hatcher was the most downloaded image on the internet. Um, and it would have taken like 20 minutes to download or something. Um, anyway. Yeah. So yeah, it, it kind of had, it had that, it coincided with that particular time in our, in our technology history. Um, so this show was developed by Deborah Joy uh, Levine or Levine. I'm not sure. I've met people with that last name who go mm-hmm. both ways. and <laughs> I don't know which one this is. And um, it, she was kind of um, a caretaker for this project that ha- like DC wanted to have happen. Like Jeanette Kahn was the president of DC and had been working with it. I believe it was Les Moonves was the person at ABC. I think he moves over to CBS pretty soon after this, but he's the one that actually greenlights it at ABC. But this is something that they're like, there, there should be a Superman uh, series on television they wanted to angle it um more targeting my understanding a, a female audience and really play up the romance yeah. angle uh for for this one um and uh i think that's like even just that language has maybe left some of the way people talk about media properties <laughs> but yeah. I, I do remember that that language being used um mm-hmm. in reading articles about it and stuff like that um, yeah and and the relationship between the two of them um is really the core of the show. I mean, yes, Superman goes around and, and rescues people and they do have, you know, multi-episode arcs and multi-season arcs, but but that core relationship um, really was the point of the show. Um, mm-hmm. And then maybe kind of, may, maybe kind of caused some problems for them in the, in the later seasons. I'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah, they had, and as actors, they had such good chemistry. They always had really good humorous chemistry. Um, Terry Hatcher especially was is a very gifted comedic actress. Um, they both played off each other very well and had you know the, the, the kind of the kind of comedic chemistry and, and romantic chemistry that you take for granted because it's so good until you're like oh yeah they really they really are selling it that they would be um, that they'd be interested in each other both as you know both as the Clark Kent Lois Lane pairing and as the Superman Lois Lane pairing. Um, so yeah they that I you know we really focused on that and maybe that's why you know, preteen Joseph was not as interested in the show because he was more interested in the comic books and what the comics were doing. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's an interesting thing to look back on. 
I do also remember, um, like in uh, you know, uh, comic book magazines like Wizard, like articles that were like noting that uh, Lois Lane is now being drawn with like the hairstyle of Terry Hatcher <laughs> from, oh, yeah. from yeah, the yeah, TV yeah. show. So, uh, uh, you know, w- it, with something like the comic book industry and all the adaptations, the adaptations do inevitably actually affect the source material. Where you uh, like want to say, well, this is where it's coming from. It's like, well, it's it it it's all affecting each other. Yeah. Um. You know, with with such long r- uh, running franchises. The series was popular enough that some novels were written, uh, set in its narrative universe, and a set of trading cards was released in season one. Uh, <laughs> I always love it when you find out, like, wait, there was a, uh, a trading card series for that? I just found out there was a trading card series for for uh, Survivor season one. <laughs> had had no idea. Excellent. Well, you'll you'll be you'll be picking those up, I'm sure. And I just want to note, this series is partially responsible for the crash of the comic book industry in the 1990s and Marvel's bankruptcy. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, you the know. The reason being, and this is going to be a very brief overview of a lot of complex industry history. But <laughs> that, that's that's why we pay you the big bucks, Joe. In the 70s and 80s, you get the emergence of dedicated comic book stores. Um, rather than comic books being sold on newsstands um, or in drugstores. And that um, starts to see publishers targeting that kind of dedicated audience rather than a more general audience. And also at those comic book stores is where you can begin to buy um, old back issues and you start to see the price of older issues of comic books going up and up and up. And so the idea of comic books as collector's items is getting into the zeitgeist at the same time that there's actually dedicated places where you can go buy those. And by the late 80s and early 90s, there's uh, a speculator market for comic books. And one of the most... Iconic examples of this speculative market is the storyline, The Death of Superman, which only was written and produced because they had planned to do the marriage of Lois and Clark, and they were asked to hold off on that until this TV show um, was going to do a wedding in the future <laughs> of Lois and Clark. Hold off yeah. on that romantic, like like paying off all that romantic tension in the comic books, because mm-hmm. uh, we, we want uh, corporate synergy, which, I, I mean, people who are watching the TV show aren't suddenly going to go buy the comic book. I, just, I, I don't understand why that is a thing that corporate corporations are always doing. But yeah. because they uh, their plan had been to do this wedding, they suddenly had to do a massive storyline for superman that had been yanked away and they're like what are we going to do with fill the void and uh famously someone always said well let's just kill him and this time when they said let's just kill him <laughs> they're like nah, we can do that we'll bring him back in time for a wedding yeah. later on and so they did the death of superman storyline uh and that issue of the, the superman number 75 when they killed superman uh is uh like w- one of the points people point to for the speculator bubble where things went insane of uh you know massive print runs selling multiple copies people buying them and saying i'm going to store this and sell it and it's going to become uh you know as valuable as action comics number one which you know at that that point was going to a copy of action comics number one could sell for uh, you know a hundred thousand dollars now will sell for millions of dollars uh that's the first appearance of superman from the golden age when no one was saving anything and also these were actively being destroyed by paper drives during world war ii so there's huge scarcity of those early appearances of superman yeah. here in the 90s everyone's buying multiple copies of the death of superman and saving them and there's a huge print run uh and uh now you can buy a copy of the death of superman the original 
issue for less than its original cover price, I think, on eBay. <laughs> um, because there's just so many of it that was put out there. Uh, and eventually, the specular mar- speculator market is going to burst, but there's a lag time as all the comic book stores and also the publishers are still putting out huge amounts of these like moments, uh, you know, event issues that are trying to capture huge numbers of sales. And uh, I can't remember the percentage, but it's a high percentage of comic book stores go out of business in the early 90s um, yeah. after everything bursts. Um, and the comic book industry itself really suffers and Marvel files for bankruptcy. It feels very strange to say now that <laughs> Marvel yes, is fi- filing yes, for bankruptcy. Yeah, just so you know, they're kind of doing okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they pulled out. <laughs> there was rumors, I think, that Warner Brothers was going to just buy Marvel and and have all the characters together. Wow. Um, but there were also rumors like in an early period that uh, when DC, before it got bought by Warner Brothers, uh, that Marvel was thinking of just buying DC and having all the characters together. P- things that could have been. Yeah. <laughs> um, with with different paths. Uh, but Part of me is like, th- doesn't that-, that violate Monopoly rules? Then I'm like, well, maybe Monopoly doesn't apply to like comic book characters. I maybe mean, that's not an important enough thing. <laughs> it, it really, like the, these characters or the, these companies are important for like holders of intellectual property at this point, not the profits generated from printing yeah, comic books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. that's not where the money is. That's not why Disney bought Marvel. Right, right. <laughs> um, but so, uh, again, Lois and Clark is like in part responsible for the series of events that uh, led to a crash of um, the, the comic book publishing industry and the comic book stores. Yeah. Well, Which cool. is what Let's it's you know, most it. famous for. Everyone remembers that, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all, no, we all that, know this. I'm sorry I went down in, there. We all, when, we're all When we study 20th century American history, this is what we study. Mm-hmm. nothing else going on in the 90s worth noting nope nope nothing at all (laughs) all right well before we move on to the summary of this episode we want to thank you for downloading uh the episode listeners and we also also want to thank those of you who support us on patreon if you would like uh you may go to patreon.com slash protagonist podcast and support our show with at least a dollar per month all supporters on patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we're not yet covering as uh as episodes of the podcast and all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss and i've become aware that there's an issue with the patreon feed i will get that sorted out if you hear this before it comes i'm so sorry uh the patreon changed a whole bunch of things and i thought i was doing everything right and apparently i have not been so look for some back catalog patreon episodes to come your way I, I was gonna yeah i was actually gonna ask you i was like okay either you have just been real busy for the last six months in which case i don't want to bother well, about you six months like, ago patreon changed changed their interface right i don't want to like <laughs> pile on you yeah but i do um, really like the quick casts they're all recorded they all exist okay. they've been edited yeah and yeah partially posted it, apparently not fully posted and released right the page right they're coming your well, way uh i may just do it as a batch and you'll you'll get them all and you can listen at your leisure okay and you'll it, you'll discover a delightful like history of of uh you know tv shows you may have forgotten were out there <laughs> six months ago it is going to be a jackpot of quick casts and you know it's just one of those like well i he's busy and they they've both got little kids and you know i just don't <laughs> want to bother them Oh, I have been uh, like, oh, even like getting, I've, I've been struggling a little bit even to get the episodes up on, uh, on Facebook, but yeah. I have, we've not missed a week. Every episode okay. <laughs> is there. Okay. I'm able to I get this one out every week. <laughs> I didn't, I somehow, I didn't even know they were up on Facebook. Okay. I am, I have been a, I have been a not diligent 
patron um oh no no I, the, the patreon episodes are supposed to release through patreon and i saw something oh, okay, i okay. screwed up so okay yeah no, no i'm no, just no, saying like good. uh i've been struggling to get like the links up to for facebook discussion for like for in our in our family got it page. Got like it. on the week that i release i always get them up got eventually it. but i i'm getting the episodes out every monday okay <laughs> that's okay. that's still happening i got it and anyway, andrew is, yeah. is doing amazing work on the editing side uh always but, yeah uh, Again, sorry far be it for me to critique. Like we are never critiquing Andrew, and I've just been sad for six months that your lives have been so busy that you haven't been able to do a quick cast. No, so. and and uh, we have we've diligently recorded them. Andrew has edited them. I've just somehow okay. screwed up something in posting <laughs> yeah. them. No, Patreon screwed it up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to pass the buck. No, it's it's on me. I I I will get it sorted out very soon. Uh, but Kirsten, you yes. were kind enough to write this summary for this episode, yes. once again titled, uh, what is it, Getting the Old Gang Back Together? Or, uh, oh, oh is, that's a good question. Do I don't that have... That old gang of mine. There that it is. Old gang that of mine. old yes. gang of mine. All right. Um, so I'm going to give a little bit of background on the, um, on the multi-season relationship arc, because this was definitely a a you know romantic tension will they or won't they show and i feel like having a little bit of background on that is important just so you know where in that show this fit so excuse me um so this show ran for four seasons and um in the first season so it starts with clark kent coming to metropolis deciding that he wants to become a reporter at the Daily Planet, and he ends up getting that job through various events. But being in Metropolis means he has a lot more opportunities to use his powers to help people. But unfortunately, it also means that he has a lot more opportunities to be seen. And um, his parents are worried, he and his parents are worried that if anyone finds out about him, they will like stick him in a lab and like a line his father actually says of the pilot is like they'll stick you in a lab and dissect you like a frog and um and and when he says this clark says it with him dissect me like a frog which you know means like yes i know we've talked about this um his parents are like lovely lovely characters um and so they come up with the idea to have like a costume or an outfit for him to change into to be superman so that's like the inciting event um, and then he meets Lois Lane. Lois is this big city girl. She will not give him the time of day. And then she meets Superman and is just completely smitten with him. So first season is basically Lois has to work with Clark, but she's really annoyed because she feels like she's worked really hard to make it to this point. And he's like a country bumpkin from nowhere. Um, and so she won't give him the time of day, but she's completely smitten with Superman. And then by the end of the season, Lois and Clark are friends and Lois is pretty much still um, smitten with Superman. So second season, they're friends. And um, and Clark, Clark has like pretty much, Clark is like in love or has a huge crush on Lois, like pretty much from the, from the beginning, which is interesting when she responds to him so differently. And we'll get into that depending on whether or not he's Superman. So second season, they're friends. Um, they're friends and partners and even best friends. But, um, sorry, just a second. I'm in a, <laughs> I'm at a really weird You're angle. Right. And so like, I'm kind of out of breath. Okay. <laughs> no worries. Um, so second season, they are partners, they're friends, they're best friends, but Clark still likes her more than she likes him. And she still is kind of 
you know, holding a flame for Superman, hoping that maybe that's going to work out. And I think there's even an episode in the second season where she's like, look, to Superman, she's like, look, I don't just love you because of your superpowers. Like, I would love you even if you were an ordinary human being. You know, it's your personality that I love. And he's like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I have reason to think that might not be true. Um Anyway, so, and that kind of takes us to the end of the season. Very end of the season, Clark proposes. That's a cliffhanger. Beginning of the third season, um, instead of responding directly to his proposal, Lois reveals that she has finally figured out that he is Superman. Because something that happened in that very last episode, she figured out. Um, and so now she's mad at him. Like, she understands why he did the whole secret identity thing, but she's really mad at him because he lied to her for two years and frankly made her feel like a fool. And so she's like, look, I just need some time to think about all of this. And then, um, and so that goes on for about half a season. And then at the end of the third season, like stuff gets really weird and you have literally three part amnesia episodes and then things kind of fall apart. Classic. Um, yes, yes. And so that's kind of when our family stopped watching. And then I think they do finally get married in the fourth season. Um, yeah. So so this show, which, let's see, is the season two. And I now don't remember which episode it was. This was season two, episode seven. Okay. So this is early in season two. So they are friends. Um, she doesn't, she absolutely doesn't know yet about his secret identity. And, um, and, um. And he likes her right now. He likes her more than she likes him. So that's where we are in terms of the overall arc, which will become important. Okay. So now so I'm going to be the summary. Continuity to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. And I think, well, and I just think that's, I think that's going to become interesting when we discuss kind of the overall arc of the show and some of the strengths and weaknesses. And then also there are some plot points that, that end up kind of contributing to this. So, okay. We open on a scene of Perry White, editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet newspaper, and Jimmy Olsen, a young Planet employee, as the former is showing off an antique car that the Daily Planet has borrowed as part of the paper's upcoming anniversary celebration. They are interrupted, however, by a man and a woman dressed up as the Prohibition-era gangsters Bonnie and Clyde, who hold them up at gunpoint and steal the car, claiming that it actually belongs to Clyde. The robbers tie up Perry and Jimmy and lock them in a second car in a garage, then start the engine and close the garage door, intending to leave them to suffocate. However, Perry and Jimmy manage to escape. Back at the Daily Planet, Perry asks his investigative reporters Lois Lane and Clark Kent to look into the carjacking. They recall hearing about a recent theft of antique guns perpetrated by someone else in a 1920s costume and speculate that maybe the two incidents are related. The two reporters visit the office of an agent who represents lookalikes. He doesn't employ any body and Clyde doubles, but he does recall that a man named Emile Hamilton recently rented a whole rack of gangster costumes from him. While they are still talking to the agent, Superman walks in the office door. Lois is surprised to see him. Clark is very surprised to see him. <laughs> However, it turns out that the person who walks into the office is not actually Superman, but Barry, a Superman lookalike with a broad New York accent who says, Don't ask me to fly out no windows. As a production note, Barry is played by Dean Kane, the same actor who plays Clark Kent in Superman, using a split-screen technique. Clark overhears a bank robbery in process and makes an excuse to leave. He arrives at the bank as Superman to find that John Dillinger and Bonnie and Clyde are holding it up. The robbers are surprised to find that their machine gun bullets bounce off of Superman's chest, but then they throw a dynamite bomb behind the desk and get away as Superman dies on top of it to absorb the explosion. 
In the next scene, Lois is talking to the police as they gather evidence in the aftermath of the robbery. Clark shows up, belatedly, and they run into Jimmy, who says that he has learned that the morning's stolen antique car did, in fact, once belong to the real Clyde Barrow. Having found a connection to the actual gangster, Jimmy followed a further hunch and contacted the directors of the cemeteries where Bonnie and Clyde were buried. Jimmy learned from the directors that the bodies of Bonnie and Clyde had each been dug up for genetic sampling upon the request of a professor named Emil Hamilton. Why does he yeah. have the authority to do this? I yes. don't know. This is oh my first that, was, that was one of the first questions I had. And eventually I learned, don't worry about those nope, questions. Nope, just, nope, nope. Just, pat, just don't, we'll and just, you will enjoy the episode much more than we'll if you do worry about that kind, of, that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. The next morning, Lois and Clark fill each other in on what they've learned of each learned about Emil Hamilton. Lois has looked into his personal life. He has no family or close friends and spends all his time and money on his research. Clark has spent time at the library. Woohoo! Little plug for library research. Looking into Hamilton's research. He was studying ways to genetically alter people with aggressive behavior and other antisocial impulses and believed that criminals would make the best test subjects. He also claimed that he had found a way to accelerate embryo development. Okay. So genetic altering, genetically altering people's behavior, cloning people, and embryo development are all different fields of study. <laughs> also, who is funding his research? Yes. They say something at one point, like, every cent he gets goes into right. his research. I'm like, who's, but like, who's paying him the cents? from? <laughs> yes. They keep, like, later they keep calling him professor. Where is he teaching? Yeah. And who is signing he up never for those leaves his lab, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like if he's not, like he's he could be doctor. I mean, he but could it, be... it's better to not ask these questions. It's better right. not to. Right, right. <laughs> anyway, this, this is the only time we'll ask these questions. All right. Okay. Jimmy tells the duo that the police ran the prints of the bank robbers and found that they matched the prints of the historical John Dillinger, Clyde Barrow, and Bonnie Parker, confirming that they are not just lookalikes. Side note: No. Um, even identical <laughs> twins have different fingerprints. So his fingerprint development is not, it's not entirely genetic. So like, even if they clone someone, they would actually have different fingerprints. That's okay. This is a plot point. I've been, uh, uh, I, I saw some thread and I didn't get into it, but they said basically all of our understanding of fingerprints in pop culture that we all just accept as truth is really flawed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm not familiar, you know, in depth enough on the science, but apparently right. we should all be a little more skeptical of the, the, oh, your fingerprints there. That's you theory. Yeah, well, and I think I think it's also like the matching. Like, mm -hmm. I think fingerprints are pretty unique. It's just like the partial matching is maybe a little more fuzzy than we think. Right. I don't know. Okay. I, I think maybe fingerprints are unique the way snowflakes are unique, which is like unique, but some of them are more unique than others. <laughs> anyway, but no, like clones would definitely have different fingerprints. That I know for sure. Okay. At the same time, Al Capone enters the newsroom and walks into Perry's office. Capone has returned the, the car that Clyde Barrow stole, apologizing for Barrow's hot-headedness at the carjacking. Capone also tries to offer Perry a substantial bribe if the newsmen will work with him. Perry, still believing that the gangsters are just actors, blows him off and Capone leaves, but not before threatening Perry. Then Jimmy informs Perry of the fingerprint results with the implication that he has just made an enemy of the real Al Capone. Lois and Clark visit an informant. Sorry, what? Or Al Capone. Yeah, I he says Al Capone calls himself Al Capone the whole time, but I don't know. If I, ever, I feel like no one else in. But then, culture. yeah, Jimmy definitely calls him Al Capone, not Al Capone. Right? Do normal people call him Al Capone? Is it just me <clears> I had never heard it said that way until this episode of television I watched oh, okay. today. Okay, so I'm 
I'm not sure. I, I meant to go look it up here. You sure. continue summary. I will okay. double check. You will that. check the recesses of your mind. Mm-hmm. Lois and Clark visit an informant to find out if he knows anything about Professor Hamilton and the gangsters. The informant says that the resurrected gangsters are the result of some sort of experiment gone wrong. Furthermore, the word on the street is that something is going down at an underground gambling club that evening. Lois and Clark decide to crash the club. Later that evening, they arrive. Clark uses his super hearing to eavesdrop on a previous guest giving the password to the bouncer at the door. This allows him to give the correct password when they arrive at the door in turn. When Lois shoots him an incredulous look for being able to guess the password, he shrugs and claims that he saw the same password used on an old episode of The Untouchables. Clark finds Bonnie in the speakeasy. She flirts with him, telling him that he looks too uptight and reaching out to loosen his tie. Clark, not wanting to reveal his Superman costume, rebuffs her awkwardly, saying that he doesn't want anyone to see his underwear. Then, probing for information about her and the other gangsters, he asks her if she lives nearby. She laughingly points out that it's a pretty forward question for someone who won't show her his underwear. Clyde shows up and gets mad at Clark for, he thinks, hitting on Bonnie. Clark goes to tell Lois that Bonnie and Clyde are both at the club, just as Lois has learned that the club's previous owner has mysteriously turned up dead. Right after they meet up, they hear someone fire warning shots and they see Al Capone walk in with the other gangsters and announce that he's decided to get back into business. John Dillinger singles Lois out of the club and intimates that maybe she would make a good club hostess. Clark steps in front of her protectively, and Clyde shoots him multiple times at close range. Clark collapses, and a couple of henchmen drag his body out of the club over the protestations of a weeping Lois, although his body is mysteriously not bleeding. Um, Later, they toss Clark's body out of a car into a dark alley. After the car drives away, Clark stands up and brushes himself off. He is, of course, uninjured, but the nature of the shooting and the number of witnesses mean that now he can't let anyone know that he is still alive without also blowing his cover as Superman. Back at the planet, the entire newsroom is subdued as they deal with the news of Clark's death. However, Perry decides not to reschedule that evening's anniversary event, arguing that celebrating the newspaper will also be a way to celebrate the life of a journalist like Clark who died in the line of duty. A grief-stricken Lois comes into work, saying that she couldn't stay home because she just kept thinking about how Clark died trying to protect her. Perry comforts her as she murmurs, I never told him, and trails off. A homicide detective visits Lois to get her signature on a statement. While at her desk, he takes a a call regarding a possible Al Capone sighting. He writes down the address and leaves... And leaves it on a pad of paper at low and leaves an impression on a pad of paper at Lois's desk. Did you ever find out about the pronunciation? Uh, I'm finding lots of debate. <laughs> Great. <laughs> including someone claiming there is newsreel footage of someone identifying someone else as a, a Capone guy, not oh, as a Capone fun. guy. Okay. But most people saying it was Americanized to Capone and yeah, it yeah, just yeah. was pronounced Capone. Okay. Yeah. Certainly in Italian, it would have been Capone, but okay. Yeah. Meanwhile, Clark is back in Smallville with his parents, expressing his frustration that his life as he knows it, his career, friendships, and everything that he has worked for have now ended. Clark's mother says that Perry called earlier to express his condolences, adding that Lois was taking it very hard. Clark laments that he can't be there for her at such a difficult time. His father points out that he can still spend time with her as Superman, but Clark counters that all of his friends and coworkers interact with him very differently when he's Superman, especially Lois. Lois visits the, ad- visits the address left by the detective and sneaks into the building. She finds Professor Hamilton, what he's a professor of, we don't know, locked into <laughs> his lab, being forced to make clones of more of Al Capone's gang members. Lois and the professor hear the gang returning and hide in a closet. Al complains that it's harder to bribe government officials than it used to be, so he's planning to kill a bunch of them at the Planet's Gala. Just then, the professor sneezes, revealing their presence to the gangsters. 
Superman tracks down John Dillinger and threatens him unless he wants unless he gives away the location of Capone, saying that he particularly wants to bring to Capone to justice to avenge the death of Clark Kent, someone someone that he, Superman, was very close to. <laughs> Superman arrives at Professor Hamilton's lab to find no one there, but he reads some of the professor's research, smiles to himself, and flies away. Al Capone and the others have taken Lois and Professor Hamilton to a construction site where they're planning on encasing them in concrete. They start pouring the concrete, then leave to go to the planet celebration. Meanwhile, Superman visits the Daily Planet, where Jimmy is sadly packing up Clark's deaths. Superman asks if he's seen Lois, but Jimmy doesn't know where she is. Superman asks Jimmy to call her pager and keep calling it so that he can track the sound. Superman rescues Lois and the professor just as the concrete reaches their necks, but flies off before Lois can talk to him. Just then, Clark steps out of the shadows. Lois runs to him in disbelief and hugs him tightly. He hastily explains that Superman found his body after he was shot, froze it with his super breath, then used Dr. Hamilton's research methods to bring him back to life, ending the explanation by saying, so it's as if I never died. That part at least is the truth. <laughs> Lois is <laughs> crying with happiness, but she quickly remembers Capone's murderous plans, and they rush back to the planet. When they arrive, Clark tells Lois to call the police from the lobby, and he runs off to change into Superman. As Superman, he shows up in time to intercept all the bullets fired by Capone's gang and melts their guns with his supervision. Superman and the other guests at the party capture all of the gangsters and hold them until the police can arrive. Lois asks Perry and Jimmy if they've seen Clark. They think she's delusional until Clark walks in alive and well. Lois offers to drive Clark home. On the way, she talks about how she felt when she thought she had lost him, hinting that she may be reevaluating the nature of their relationship. However, when she turns to see his reaction, she finds that he has fallen fast asleep, and the moment of honesty passes. So yeah, they Jerk did it. They did a whole will they, won't <laughs> they sort of teasing things very, like very much, you know, through those first couple of seasons before, um, before settling down into the third season, and then going crazy at the end of the third season. Right. I, I just wasn't clear on what Clark's motivation for pretending to be asleep was right then. No, he does fall asleep. Oh, he really was asleep? Yeah. Just because he's Superman, I assumed he he's was just, just tired. pretending. He's okay, just he was just tired. A just a, yeah. the human nature of Superman to come through. Because okay. he's, yeah, because he starts, he starts, he's like yawning a little bit. And then he's like, I think it's just been like, he's been awake for a while and he's flying back and forth. And then he was Clark and now he can't be Clark. And like, like it's just, it's just, it's just a tease. It is 100% just a tease. Like, and and I think for this show, they, this show very much puts like Clark is the real person and Superman's like the persona, right? Like he goes and acts like Superman. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm also very frequently used to the idea of like Superman being who, you know, like he's always really super bad and he pretends uh-huh. to be Clark. But if uh-huh. you're making Clark the more centered one, yeah, him falling asleep makes perfect sense. So yes. I, I, I yes. accept that. Yeah. And there's an episode, I think it, it must be, yeah, it's the beginning of the third season um, where, you know, after she finds out and they're kind of trying to iron that out, maybe, and maybe it's even the first episode of the third season where, um, where she says something like, look, you just didn't tell me that you're Superman. And he's like, Superman is what I can do. Superman is what I can do. Clark is who I am. Like, I have not lied mm-hmm. to you about who I am. I have just lied to you about some factual details about how strong I am and whether or not I can fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? but, but like, like my like, personality, it's it's the Clark. I'm not yeah, pretending yeah. to. And, and like, this isn't a bumbling, uh, you know, geeky version yes of, of clark to the degree of like the christopher reeve uh, yes and know, i and i can't remember if if you're the one who put it on my social media feed but there was something there's something a couple of weeks ago um that we saw that was like it's like a it's like a gif of of christopher reeve or a gif 
or well we can talk about that if you want because buddy i have a degree in linguistics and i have some opinions <laughs> I, and actually, I the official opinion is it's fine, but there's arguments both ways. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I um, that's where you're going to laugh. No, I laugh because yes. I know you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, you're not the, a prescriptivist. Where, where I'm going to land is honestly, I can actually tell you exactly why people say it both ways. Uh -huh. Like we can get into the, you know, the the phonetics and the neurology of it. Um, um, so an animated series of images on the internet <laughs> of of Christopher Reeve taking off his glasses and standing up straight and putting his shoulders back and completely changing his physique and then putting on the glasses and and you know bending forward and moving his physique inward and someone saying this is like the greatest special effect of all time um mm. and and i've heard other people point out that that christopher reeve is is the only live action superman or maybe the only superman well the, the only live action or, or animated Superman they, where you would really believe that someone would not notice that Clark Kent and Superman were the same person. Um, one of the downsides of the Lois and Clark approach is that it's, it's a little more ridiculous that people wouldn't notice because, because Clark is not bumbling and he's not hiding and he's not trying to be meek, you know, he's, he's, um, He's he is trying to hold back a little part of himself, but um, but he's really you know his personality is Clark, and part of the reason, part of the reason that he decides to become Superman is because he wants to keep being Clark. You know, it's not it's not oh I guess sometimes I have to be Clark because I don't have any reason to be Superman. It's no, I want to be Clark, and if people find out that I'm Superman, I can't be Clark. I'll just have to be this freak all the time. Um, and that's actually why I wanted to do this episode, because as you know, I am obsessed with secret identities and with like what happens with them. Um, and this episode is so interesting because um, because Clark gets shot. He gets shot multiple times at close range with witnesses, including Lois. And so like he has no choice but to like fall down again, not bleeding. <laughs> and you can even <laughs> see you can even see it's it's great production work. Some of the bullets like like squished up as you know like like they're in a like they're in like a kevlar vest kind of on his suit like his suits in mm -hmm. a little bit in ruins but like the bullets are on the outside <laughs> um but it happens very quickly it's it's also really great because the gangsters like it's it's an unplanned thing and they're like uh we have to get rid of the body and so they just pull the body out right away you know i i got to thinking um what if something like that had happened and they hadn't gotten rid of his body right away. And Lois would have been like, oh, my gosh. Well, okay, you're still breathing. I guess that's good. Like, hmm, wait, you're not bleeding. <laughs> that's okay. Like, wait, what's what's under your shirt? <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just such a shocking thing where he doesn't really have any choice. But then, like, how, you know, he, he suddenly has lost everything and his dad getting to play the kind of straight man is like oh it's okay because you're still superman and he's like no that is not good enough mm. um you know superman is not the one who gets to interact as these people's friends superman is this person who's very distant and you know is the celebrity and they all kind of worship him and lois especially um you know i i think I'm I'm really just monologuing because I like this show, but that's okay. I'm just going to tell you all this stuff, and you're going to like say. Mm -hmm, but it's also, um, I, I think it's in, in terms of how they're portraying it. Clark is in love with Lois, not Superman. Oh yes, mm -hmm. right. So he he can't just go be Superman and maintain that relationship with Lois. <laughs> well, except that Lois is in love with Superman, and so like, yeah. 
that would be, you know, it's it would be very tempting to go be Superman because, mm-hmm. I mean, arguably he could he could, you know, win her over anytime he wants as Superman. Um, but he also knows it's not real in some ways as Superman because yeah. he knows that she doesn't see him. I think it's also interesting that this pivot that they do to really emphasize the the romance, but also, uh, you know, kind of switch some of the uh, aspects of Clark uh, versus the Christopher Reeves inter- interpretation, mm-hmm. uh, because, th- you know, this is an adaptation of Superman. It's not just an adaptation of the source material of the comic books or even a particular era of the comic books. I mean, the yeah. comic books have been going for so long. There's so much. It's also an adaptation against the previous versions. It has to do something that makes it special, that makes it mm-hmm. stand out, you know, that, that gives it a purpose for being besides just Superman on TV. Yeah. And as you noted, like the most recent version people would have been familiar with are those live action films mm-hmm. um, that had had the very uh, bumbly sad sack style Clark Kent. Yeah. And so to, to invert that does give a different spin on it uh and you know we're gonna get different versions so like the you know small we're gonna uh do uh coming of age high school version of superman yeah. uh you know this one's going to be very much um at, at least it feels uh in in a lot of the episodes i've seen you know it's it's the uh you know a, a romantic emphasis on on superman not mm-hmm. so much on the uh you know action of of superman yeah um so i have so Back to back to Lois and Clark. I have a I have a theory or or sort of a yeah like a, like a theory that actually the main character, if you have to pick one, the main character of Lois and Clark is not Clark Kent or Superman. It is Lois because she is the one who gets the character arc over each season and over the mm-hmm. the series as a whole because she's the one who Clark's character does personality does not really change over the show. He um you know he does he grows into himself a little bit as Superman. He has a chance to kind of express that side of himself a little bit, but really he's this like fundamentally decent person to begin with and he's a fundamentally decent person to end with (laughs) and lois lois is someone who is you know she's smart and she's hardworking and she's risk-taking but she's also someone who um can be very dismissive of other people um and she's very dismissive of clark she just you know from the beginning she makes she makes a snap judgment of him and she will not and and tends to make snap judgments of people in general and it's kind of been you know burned by a lot of situations as as a career woman in the 90s you know trying to make a head in the world she's kind of cynical and um and so she makes snap judgments of people and then you know so so she makes this this you know has this very negative opinion of clark and then of course meets superman who is this person that you cannot dismiss no matter you know no matter who you are and so is just for once kind of completely bowled over um this person who tries to be you know cynical and and clear-headed and everything and then the arc of the series is her learning to see clark for who he really is and to kind of meld those two people to you know to see that superman's a little more human for lack of a better word than she thought that he's you know and gets to know him as a as a person and not just as this like godlike being and then also really seeing clark for who he is and not just dismissing him um and but then the problem with that is that once she you know once she 
literally sees knows that they're the same person and then kind of like psychologically reconciles herself to it they kind of the tension of the show kind of runs out and they don't really have anywhere to go other than three-part amnesia episodes you know where she forgets (laughs) everything um there's a there is at least one really fun episode in the fourth season where um where there's this like there's this paparazzi photo photographer basically who's like spying on lois and clark for some reason and i think they're married at this point um and like they're they're supposed to go off for this romantic weekend but like clark's clark has to do something as superman he's like i'll meet you at this like you know romantic hotel so she goes ahead and then he shows up as Superman and flies in and they begin, you know, smooching, canoodling and the paparazzi photographer sees them and takes pictures of Superman and Lois smooching and the, and publishes stuff that like that Lois is having an affair with Superman. And so now everyone is mad at Lois for cheating on Clark. Everyone's mad at Superman for having an affair with his, you know, supposed best friend's wife. Everyone's very sympathetic with Clark and they can't figure out how to untangle it without giving away his secret anyway. And they do figure it out. Um, So that's like, that's an example of a storyline they can still do, but it really kind of let the air, you know, kind of took the wind out of the show once, once Lois finally, um, finally saw Clark for who he was. It kind of felt like they didn't have a place for the show to go. And I am a big fan. Like if you have a show that has romantic tension, I am a big fan of resolving that tension within a reasonable amount of time and not taking like 10 seasons for it to happen, you know? And so I feel, I do feel like two or two and a half seasons was completely appropriate, but I'm also sad that the writers didn't, didn't figure have, out seemed to have a game of, plan for yes. what, what now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a famous issue with um, these long-running franchises, right? Yeah. Where, like, the, the Superman, Clark Kent, Lois Lane is a core conceit in Action Comics number 1 published in 1938. Comics have been published <laughs> with Superman nonstop since 1938. How do you keep this going? Uh-huh. Um, and Umberto Eco wrote an essay. I mean, this was back in the, I, I want to say, 70s, but yeah. it, I could be wrong um, when he wrote this. Um, but he talked about the fact that Superman needed to present the illusion of change, but also the static uh, status quo of a myth. Mm-hmm. where like you you this is a continually published storyline and yeah. readers expect transformation but superman exists in the public consciousness as an iconic myth that always needs to have a preserved right. status quo so how do you do that with something like the clark kent lois lane relationship if you move them to marriage that has broken the the static myth but structure. i feel like even a myth like a literal myth has an ending mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah. you know like like cupid and psyche or yeah. Hercules, or like, <laughs> but also like the, the, this, these publishers—they weren't planning on making iconic, uh, static pop culture myths. Yeah, <laughs> they were yeah, just trying yeah. to uh, tell stories, make a buck, and yeah. move on. And yeah. then they've kind of like found themselves like, oh no, fans get angry if we do X, Y, or Z. Uh-huh. Uh But they also get angry if everything feels like a retread of what we yes. did ten years ago. Yes. So how do we do this? And they have not always been good at finding those solutions. And yeah. there's been a lot of missteps and misfires and some successes within there. Um, yeah. But one of the go-to ways is, okay, we're just going to reset everything. <laughs> Resetting yeah. all the continuity. Yeah. And now yeah. we're back. And now we're telling new stories. With, or or uh, having, <laughs> yeah, or having multiple continuities going at the same time or having, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it can get very messy and confusing very fast and start to feel overwhelming. And when it starts to feel overwhelming, again, one of their go-to moves is we're clearing the table and resetting back to uh-huh. square one. 
Yes. Yes. Or it's, it's <laughs> but then, all amnesia. But then those or... fans who grew up reading those earlier ones that they said don't exist anymore, they really like those stories, so they want to do callbacks to them. But how can you mm-hmm. do a callback to something that never actually existed according right. to our current continuity? Right. Well, you introduce an alternate timeline where those right. other stories are still going. <laughs> then you have a multiverse. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I'll say um, uh, Lois and Clark, the, the series also did um, in – oh, was it the first season? I in in one of the first two seasons, um, they did a they did a time travel episode where someone comes from the future because the future is very utopian because of Lois and Clark's influence. They like sort of help found this utopia, and this guy in the future doesn't like it, and so he like goes back to kind of interrupt it so that the future can be more dystopian because he wants it to be dystopian. Um, anyway, so he basically tries to like kill Clark Kent as a baby. And then, like, this other time traveler, who is H.G. Wells, of course, tries to (laughs) – gets Lois and Clark in the present to help – help to to come back in time and help um, and help stop this guy. And the guy from the future gets to do this really, really great scene where he like actively makes fun of Lois for not figuring it out for being so stupid. And he's like, and because he's like talking to him, he's like, oh my gosh, you don't know yet. And he's like, do you know in the future? And he talks about like how amazing she is. And she's just like revered as this like amazing woman. He's like, but there's one question that future historians have never been able to figure out. How dumb was she? (laughs) (laughs) goes <laughs> through talks about like 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 and then he like has and then he think he does wear glasses and he like starts going back and forth and he's like i'm clark kent and then he turns and goes i'm superman and he does it over and over again until she figures it out um and then clark walks in and then she gets really mad at him and then she slaps him and she's like don't pretend that hurts superman um and then he goes like and then he like is talking to himself and he's like Ugh, glasses secret identity it seemed like a good idea at the time uh and then at the very end hg wells is like look it's not because you're stupid it's because you were blinded by love and like first you were in love with superman and you couldn't see who clark was and then you were in love with clark and you couldn't see who superman was and like it's fine um and it's actually very sweet and then of course at the end of the episode time travel somehow resets their minds mm-hmm. so that you yeah, know they don't course. figure anything else for for two seasons but yeah just just having a character um get to make fun of her for for being or or uh, my other favorite uh my other favorite explanation is that she's has prosopagnosia she's just face blind and so like everyone you know <laughs> everyone looks different when everyone they looks the same right exactly <laughs> exactly um about this particular episode yes i one thing that i always am fascinated with when stories are doing cloning is like the idea of the tabula rasa and like art uh-huh. and that i almost want to ask the question but then this episode is so disinterested in exploring any of that is it even worth it <laughs> With acknowledging, like the ex- go ahead, the, like the existential crisis that Clark Kent would experience if he really were a clone, or that Lois Lane would oh, have uh-huh. in talking yeah. to him if he were yeah. a clone of who he had been, but now this is a new version of him. Yes, the show is not interested in us thinking no. about that in any way, shape, or form. And and like why for him or the gangsters. Same. Yeah, well, and and because I was trying to, I was going through this, and you know, I I am very fond of the show, but going through this and like looking at like the five different kinds of science that one person is doing, like with no funding and no research institute, um, and like and like why they all have the same memories, because sometimes that's brought up with cloning, but not when you're cloning from dead bodies, like that doesn't make sense. Um, but really, I was like, no, the whole point of this is bringing back gangsters from the dead and but also having it not be a mad scientist but a misguided scientist and when you look at that perspective then all the other choices they make make sense you know he wanted to he wanted well okay 
And then also, like, why doesn't he work with living criminals? Why does he have to bring back gangsters? But but why why gangsters? <laughs> why is this his yeah. choice? Yeah. Is it, I mean, it's, it's kind of like uh, you get to the Star Trek episode in the 60s where it's like, we're doing a gangster planet. Why? Because uh, yes. we want to do a gangster planet. That's why. Okay? <laughs> the planet of hats. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Because pinstripes um, and those hats always are going to look good on film. We're doing it. And it's like, oh, okay, my gosh. Go. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So so really, they just want to they just want to have gangsters bring gangsters back from the dead. But but have it but have it be a benevolent scientist. That's all they want to do. And but I also and, love the cop at the end when uh, like the scientist is like, am I in trouble? And the cop just says something like for a lapse in judgment. No, I'm like, we arrest Absolutely, people for lapses yes. in judgment all Absolutely, the time. Yes. That is one of the main reasons people get arrested. It's what right. they do with that lapse in judgment. Right. But it's always a lapse. <laughs> judgment <laughs> also also conveniently um and, and this is very smart the same the same research that gets us into the problem is also the research that lets us fix the the clark having to fake his death means mm-hmm. he can fake superman fixing the problem and then yeah. I, I and this is making to the summary but then dr hamilton burns all his research so we never have to deal with this again because in a show like this which is technically a fantasy sci-fi show the only continuity we have is really the basic superpowers like we're not we're you know we're not going to deal with this exact kind of cloning again we're not going to deal with this exact kind of like cryogenic you know potential regeneration again the whole the point is just Let's have gangsters back from the dead. That would be fun. And let's have Clark Kent shot up point, uh, cl- you know, at close range and see like what are the ramifications of losing one of your secret identities. You know, no matter what mm-hmm. he chooses, either he's like, surprise, I'm not dead. In which case, he loses his secret, his secret identity because everyone knows that he's Superman, or I'm dead but not bleeding for some reason, but dead. Um, in which case he loses his secret identity because everyone thinks he's dead. Um, yeah. Anyway. No, I think that's a, a it, it, it is handled well like that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that within an episode, they give you enough time to explore uh, some depth into the Clark Superman relationship and what it would yeah. mean for Clark Kent to die and Superman to stay in his place and all that. Yep. And, and resolve it in a way that within the narrative world they have created makes sense. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make sense if you stop to think about it but no, within the narrative world. No, no. The, the, the Clark dying, the Clark having to pretend to be dead is really the only part that makes sense, honestly, because he gets shot at close range, you know, with um, with a lot of witnesses, which is a problem. Um, yeah. So I sent you this earlier today. I was talking to a coworker of mine, a coworker whose office has been across from mine for nine years. And I, and his, you know, he has, he's the kind of person who has like funny quotes and things on his office door. But today I noticed something that I have literally never noticed before. And it's on his office. Um, it's on the frame of his office because it's a magnet. And it says, even Superman is Clark Kent most of the time. And it's like, this promotional magnet from a book arts press conference from 1976. Um, And the point of the magnet is you don't have to be a superhero, but the serendipity of us recording this episode today, I took it as if Clark Kent dies, that's a big problem because even (laughs) Superman is Clark Kent most of the time. (laughs) And you know, that's, I mean, if that's who he is most of the time, or if that's who he wants to be most of the time, which in this particular interpretation of Lois and Clark, that's who he is. And that's the life that he wants to maintain while also having the opportunity to have Superman as an outlet. 
um, then it's a huge problem if for some reason that life is threatened and this, you know, this tiny little outlet life is something is, is, is not enough. You know, it's, it's sort of like, it's sort of like if your only life is like your hobby and you're like, well, I don't get to do anything at all anymore except for like, I don't even know, like all I get to do now is knit. I don't get to talk to my family. I don't get to talk to my friends. I don't get to see movies. I just get to knit. And I like knitting, but I want to have friends. <laughs> <laughs> knitting as superhero. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the uh, in, in the Death of Superman comic book, the way they explained Clark Kent having been gone for all the time that Superman was being regenerated. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah was that in the battle with Doomsday, Clark Kent was trapped under rubble, but happened to be in an old bomb shelter. So he had sure, plenty of food yeah. and water. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh-huh. uh, when Superman came back, he did a scan of all the old bomb shelters in case anyone was still under there from the rubble of the Doomsday. <laughs> That's wonderful. Able to rescue Clark I Kent. Also like, I also like the fact that they would have to explain that Clark was gone when Clark is like the more fragile of the two, you know, like, <laughs> like it's, and, and I, and I, this will maybe, I mean, this will maybe like um, be something that we, that where we kind of end up. But I was also thinking about when I was trying to figure out which episode to do, I was also thinking about some other kind of fun premise episodes. Cause there's an episode where, um, where Clark gets amnesia. Cause he's like trying to stop this asteroid. He's trying to hit this asteroid to stop it from hitting earth, but he doesn't quite like, he doesn't quite destroy it and he gets blown back to earth and his super suit comes off in re-entry. And so he's like, doesn't know who he is. Um, and so his parents come out to visit him, but he doesn't know, like, he doesn't know who he is as Clark or as Superman. And so, and they realize that, that he's like, yeah, like, I guess I'm a reporter and like Superman's missing. And they're like, Superman's not missing. They're like, oh no, he doesn't know. And so they have to like convince him that he actually is Superman and they have to like try to teach him how to fly. And they're like kind of, pu- they're like pushing him off his balcony because they think he'll maybe figure it out on the way down and he does not figure it out on the way down. Um, and it's very funny. Um, and there's also an episode where early in the first season where Lex Luthor is like doing something devious with these aquifers under Metropolis. And he's like heating up Metropolis for, I can't remember nefarious purposes. Um, but they think it's related to Superman's activity. They think, cause it, cause it correlates with Superman doing all this stuff. And they think that Superman's just like heating up Metropolis and all this stuff. And so he like, he's like, well, I guess I have to leave. Like I'm, I'm, you know, accidentally hurting the city. And then Clark is also leaving and Clark's trying to figure out how to explain that he's also leaving at the same time Superman's leaving. And Lois says, Oh, Clark, I know why you're leaving. Did you really think I hadn't figured out what it was about you and Superman? And he shoots her this panicked look of like, Oh no, she figured it out. And then she says, you idolize the man, Clark, you can't stay if he's not here. (laughs) And he's like, yes, yes, that is definitely why I'm leaving. Um, and then lastly, this, this comes up just a little bit, but I, as we've mentioned before, because I cannot record an episode of this podcast without talking about secret identities, no matter what the actual topic is, um, I, I love things that play between the kind of blurring between the secret identities. And, and one thing that this showed it a lot that was really fun was that Clark would have these little slip ups where people would, were just like a little weird thing would happen pretty much every episode but no one would quite notice um so like oh gosh what's a good example um so like there's an episode where he and lois so so like so like this episode where he overhears the password and lois is like how did you know the password and then he has to like think of a lie of like oh i saw it in an old episode but there's an episode where they're like sneaking up on a military base 
and she is and she's like got binoculars and so she's like trying to figure out what they're doing on the military base and she's like do you want the binoculars and he says no i don't need them and she goes what and he's like um i mean they're hard to use with glasses you know and so she just like barely he just like barely slips up or like um or like there's this like weird government person who's giving everyone lie detector tests and so they've got clark hooked up to this lie detector test and they're giving him um, they're telling him to say something true and to say something false to like calibrate the machine. And so they're like, okay, we're going to ask you a question and you need to say yes to, uh, to a true question. They're like, okay, are you Clark Kent? And they like say yes, because it's true. And he goes, yes. And he's like, okay, now we need to say yes, but it needs to be a lie. And they're like, are you Superman? And he goes, yes. And it doesn't read as a lie. <laughs> they're like, that's weird. Why is it not reading as a lie? <laughs> And they're like, uh, this reporter's so mild-mannered, he doesn't have a pulse. Um, and so, like, pretty much every single episode, there's, like, a little thing where if someone was just paying a little bit more attention, they would notice that there's, like, something going on about this guy. Um, and I really love that. I love, love, love a secret identity story that just barely plays with that blurring of, you know, you try to separate those lives, but you really can't separate them entirely. Um, and that's just a really fun thing I liked about the show. And... I said it near the top of this episode, but I think we need to make more space for fun silliness. Yes. <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that not everything needs to be a somber meditation on what yeah. it means to be human uh, or on, uh, you know, all the ills of society, whether it's crime or, uh, you know, prejudice or bias. Sometimes you should be able to escape to something that's just kind of kind of light and fluffy and uh -huh. this episode was just so light and fluffy yes. and yes. it had opportunities to go and like raise questions and said <laughs> no we will not in this episode explore that existential uh you know identity crisis that could come upon someone don't, uh, who don't thinks think they're now hard. their co-worker is now yeah. a clone of who they were <laughs> at the beginning of this episode and don't. for the rest of the series lois is going to believe that clark kent is a clone don't, don't. And don't think too hard about the IRB approvals for cloning gangsters. <laughs> and, and, or why gangsters? Why is that who he is bringing back? I don't understand. And how? But and, why okay. the, and why the cemetery? And why the cemetery directors were like, "Oh yeah, well, if a professor says they have to be exhumed, I guess they have to be exhumed for genetic samples." <laughs> Also, I do. I did imagine. Um, I did imagine. So in the in the TV show, or the in the in the film, Mister and Mrs. Smith, which is about two spies who figure out that they're both spies, and then they have to like kind of redo all the conversations they had where they were lying to each other about being spies. I did suddenly imagine Lois and Clark redoing, and Lois being like, "Wait, when you when you when you got shot by those gangsters and you died, and him be like, oh yeah, no, I didn't die.'" <laughs> Like, like, so you're not a clone. I've been thinking no, not you were a clone. clone. Like, yeah, didn't you notice I wasn't bleeding? She's like, I was I was weeping at your death. I didn't notice you weren't bleeding. <laughs> He's like, no, I was just home with my parents in Smallville. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure out how I can make up a story that explained why I'm right. still alive. <laughs> right. And he's like, she's like, you know, I did think Superman was like not that sad about your death. <laughs> he's like, yeah, no, I, I was just sort of like stressed out trying to figure out how to handle it all. <laughs> I mean, I think that would have that could be an avenue for um, new tension. Once, like Lois knows, uh -huh. would be her 
being more heavily involved in all the cover-ups and everything. And like, it's now external threats, not yes. interpersonal and they, threats. And they did that a little bit with, with uh-huh. you know, at the very beginning, they they had a lot of fun with him always running off all the time, you know, and having to make like more and more ridiculous excuses. I remember one in particular. So this one, he's like, oh, I have to go feed the meter when he goes off to like stop the bank robbery. Um, there was one where he's like, oh, I just have to check if my cheese of the month subscription has arrived yet and then superman shows up and talks to them and then he comes back and he's like nope no cheese (laughs) Uh, all right well i think we uh look at the clock we need to wrap up this episode do you have any final thoughts on lois and clark um lois and clark a pretty fun show for at least three and a half or two and a half seasons Well, and I, I I meant to say this. I don't think I did when you were uh, talking about that. Lois is really the protagonist of the series. I mean, mm-hmm. she does get top billing uh, in in the show title, and um, my memory is that Terry Hatcher was, you know, even more than Dean Kane, I think, involved in like the promotion on the late night talk shows. Or yes, like and that. she was a Bond girl. She had been a Bond girl, and he was. I think he was an unknown. I think this was one of his first big roles, um, or maybe not quite an unknown. I think maybe he'd been on like. He'd been on some teen soap, but like, but yeah, she was, I think she was better known than he was at the time. So. All right. Well, thank you listeners for downloading this episode. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tufty, who composed our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Bye-bye. Sorry. <laughs> I was about to say the thing. <coughs> and then I, I killed Joe from the plague. <laughs>